Good morning. All right, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6, and uh, we continue looking at the full armor of God, the panoply of God. And uh, this morning we come to the verse, um, in uh, verse 16, in all circumstances, taking up the shield of faith. Um, one of the things we need to keep in mind is that Ephesians is written to the church at Ephesus, that is, to those who believe in Jesus Christ. So when it says, take up the faith, uh, the uh, preliminary understanding, the prior understanding is that he's writing to people who have already expressed faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but now he's inviting them to take up that faith and to live out that faith and that their faith then becomes a shield uh, of protection for them against the fiery darts of the wicked, or however it's phrased in here. Uh, the shield that he's talking about, if you were looking at a Roman soldier, it wouldn't be that little frisbee-sized buckler-type shield thing. It would actually be a very large shield, about four feet across, four or five feet uh, tall, and uh, to the point that it is said that uh, the wives of soldiers uh, would tell their husbands when they left for battle, would say, bring back your shield, don't come back on your shield. And so that's how large it was. It could actually convey a wounded at best soldier. Uh, so we'll, we'll be looking uh, at that in just a few moments. Uh, but for now, let's begin reading in verse 13. It says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. And stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. Let's bow together in prayer. My gracious Father, we come to you as those who are hungry and thirsty and weak and tired. We come to you as those who are in need of sustenance and cannot supply it ourselves, those in need of refreshment and cannot bring it to ourselves. Father, we come as, to you as those who are empty and exhausted and depleted. But we come to you because you are the author and the giver and the creator of all resources. You're the one who gives us not just the physical food, but, Father, you feed us spiritually, not only physical drink, but, Father, you, you give us the living water from which we drink. Father, you supply strength and energy for the journey. You give us the encouragement. Father, we are dependent entirely and completely upon you. And so we bow down before you, coming to you as those who are empty, because you're the God who fills us up. And so let your Holy Spirit fill us, Motivate us, use us. Father, just plant us firmly in the center of your will. In all that we say, all that we do, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In, uh, in my dad's entire life, of course, I didn't know him his entire life, but as long as I knew him, but in my dad's entire life, the worst invective he ever uttered was itai. Itai is Japanese for ouch. 
That was it. Dad loved languages. Whenever he visited a country, he always tried to learn some of the language and brought back from Japan, among other things, but he brought back Itai. That was it. About as mild as anything I can think of. Of course, my dad being my dad, he had to do it in Japanese, but, you know, it was just, ouch! In fact, one time, uh, he was uh, ripping some wood on a uh, radial arm saw, <laughs> which is kind of a dangerous thing to do, um, but he was ripping the wood with a radial arm saw, and as he was pushing the wood through, the, the blade caught the, the, the piece of wood and shot it back at his finger, hit him right on the end of his finger and split the finger over, open, split the bone down to the marrow. Um, yeah, just, just think about that. And here was my dad's, uh, my dad's response. Itai. That was it. But you see, when the board comes shooting back and splits your finger open, it's too late to decide whether or not you're going to cuss. You know, there's a lot of things you can't do in that moment. You can't say, excuse me a minute, throbbing finger. Let me ask to be put on the prayer list. I want the church to pray for me so that I would know how to respond to this wound that may result in the amputation of my finger, which it didn't, but it could have. It's too late to call up your friend, your brother in Christ, and say, I've got this problem here. I've just been struck by a, by a board on the end of my finger, and uh, would you counsel me? What do you think the appropriate response will be? No, in that instant, the pain of the finger goes straight to a place in the brain that bypasses thought and you simply respond out of who you are. And so my dad said, he tied. What would you have said? <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. Um, I, I do talk about guilt a little later on in the sermon, so I'll be okay. But, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of times when things in, in our Christian walk happen to us like that, and there's not a lot of time to respond. In fact, a lot of times we just react without thinking, and then we look back, and, you know, why did I react like that? You, know, you go into work, you've got a meeting, and there's somebody there you didn't expect at the meeting. It's that person, you know, the one who rubs you the wrong way, the one that you avoid, the one that just gets under your skin, and you walk into the room, and before you know it, you're trying to find a chair so you don't have to sit next to him, and you're sitting there, you're grumbling in your mind, and suddenly you realize, I bet Jesus wouldn't do this. You realize you've re reacted and responded so quickly, but it caught you by surprise. You know? When the person cuts you off in traffic, you know? your, your initial response is what? Praise the Lord, I'm being taught humility and patience. <laughs> On a good day, but you know, sometimes you know, these things happen so quickly that, that suddenly our mind goes somewhere that we didn't want it to go. You, you might be just watching a, a television program and the program is great, but then the commercials come in and something is said in the commercial and pretty soon your mind, without thinking, has gone somewhere where you don't even want to be, but there you are. And what's with that? And it just zoom right at you. It's in those moments that you're experiencing the flaming dart of the evil one. Um, when when the, uh, the Bible talks about the darts, think about arrows. 
And uh, what, what we're looking at it is, is that arrows in the military of the time were the standoff weapon of choice. I mean, there, there were other standoff weapons like catapults and, and uh, things like that. But uh, uh, by and large, your arrows were your uh, field artillery. You, you mass a bunch of guys with, with arrows and they shoot them up and, and they go down. And like a lot of military tactics is based on standing as far away from your target as possible and yet inflicting maximum energy. So like artillery, that's what you do. Like a, like a standoff missile or bomb, uh, you know, you can guide it to the target. It's a really great thing if you're not there where they can shoot back at you. Well, that, that's what a, 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 the, the arrows were, were all about. But the other thing is, if you think about it, the arrow was also the weapon of choice for a sniper. Sniper, it's, it's an anachronism, but, but you know, if, if somebody's just going to sit and wait for a target of opportunity and sees it at a distance, he's, he's going to throw an arrow at that target. And so a lot of times what we experience is the sniping of Satan at our lives. Just waiting until we're a little bit exposed, a little bit unready for it, just waiting for a moment when we're a little bit tired or exhausted and we're just not thinking about things, we're just sort of carelessly going through life and Satan pulls back the bow and he launches a dart. He launches an arrow at us. And when it hits, it hurts. And so what do you say when something hurts? Itai. <laughs> now you got a word to say. Practice that. Because in that moment, it's too late to get ready. The attack has already come. And so Paul says, take up a shield of faith. Take up a shield that is going to be a defensive covering. It's going to be large enough to keep anything from hitting you. But make sure you've got that shield in place and that it's ready to go so that when the devil is sniping at you and he launches the arrow at you, it hits the shield. And that shield is your faith. And faith is something that we have to take up as a protection from the schemes of the evil one. And faith is something that we have to live out every day so we're prepared when the arrow comes. The Bible has a lot to say about faith. We certainly can't look at all of it. Of course, we know we are saved by the grace of God through faith. That's what Paul's already taught us in in Ephesians chapter 2, but we are saved by the grace of God and we are connected to that grace. We are, we are included into that gracious work of God in Christ Jesus when we put our faith, that is our hope, our trust, and our obedience in Christ Jesus. Ask him into our heart, forgive us of our sins, be Lord of my life. Folks, I pray that's an experience that you've had. You know, and if you haven't, just, just uh, you know, I'd love to talk to you or Find a, a, someone who is a believer and just say, what, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means I came to the cross and I realized that Jesus Christ had died for my sins. His blood shed to make me clean again. I asked forgiveness for my sins. I asked him into my heart as Lord and Savior. And now I serve him. And so the, there's a faith that saves us. But then that faith has a dynamic working in our lives. It, it, it has an ongoing in, in impact. If you will, either think about or turn with me and look at Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 is a, is a chapter in which uh, 
of faith is being expounded and, and just one example from the Old Testament after another is being given of what faith means and, and uh, we'll, we'll look at the, the front end of that in a moment but uh, one of the things that, that the book of Hebrews is saying in, in chapter 11 and if you're familiar with it you know this and if not go back and read it but you'll see he talks about by faith people did something that God commanded that they would not ordinarily have done. See it was, it was by faith that that, that Abraham, for example, left his home and he went to a land that God would show him. He hadn't seen it yet, but by faith he trusted in God's leadership. By faith, Moses gave up the, the, the prerogatives and the privileges of Pharaoh's court to identify with the people of God. And by faith, he kept the Passover, that, that emblem that, that was uh, portraying and prophesying the coming of Messiah who would give his blood that we might be saved. And so by faith, Moses observed that. By faith, he goes on to say uh, that we, we could talk about the prophets and, and, and those who were martyred and on and on. And so Hebrews chapter 11 is about faith in action. But before we get to those examples, he says in verse 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Assurance and conviction by faith. Have you ever met somebody who said, I only believe in things I can touch and see? You ever know somebody like that? It sounds so scientific, doesn't it? Just sounds like I'm not, I'm not a part of that uh, superstition age in the Middle Ages and religion. I, I just believe in what I can touch and what I can see. That's, that's all you can be sure about. Well, first of all, let me tell you, that statement, I only believe what I can touch and see, you can't touch or see that statement. You know, so it falls apart there. But, but that to one side, you know, there was a moment when you could have touched and seen God. When the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus Christ in our midst, God in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. And after the resurrection, it, 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 Jesus said to Thomas, he said, Look at me, see me, touch me, put your hand in my side and touch my hands and, and see the, the, the prints of the nails. And Thomas, once you've done that, just see that it's me. But, but look, you can touch, you can see. And Thomas at that moment, what did he say? My Lord and my God. So that flies out of the window. If you know Jesus Christ, you know the Father, you know God himself. And in theory, you, you could have touched him if you'd been back there. But the scripture says that it's faith as the assurance of things hoped for. See, something you're hoping for is, is yet out there, but it's, it's based on a promise. God has made a promise to us. He's made us a promise of eternity and glory. Eternity in the presence of the Father. By the way, eternity singing to God and praising God and worshiping God. And it is, it, you know, it's, it's the glorious promise of God. And this is what we hope for. This is what makes heaven worthwhile. And we don't see it yet. Every now and then we get a glimpse of it. If you've ever been next to a great saint who's, who knows that they're about to pass from this life into the next, and if you stand close enough to them, every now and then God will pull back the curtain and you can see with them into the courts of glory. We don't see it yet, but we have the promise of God and the assurance that there's a mansion prepared for us and that Christ will come and bring us unto himself that where he is, there we may be also. This is our hope. 
And because our faith is in Jesus Christ, we have an assurance of that hope. And we have a conviction about that hope. You're saying, well, sometimes I don't feel assurance and I don't feel conviction. These are not emotions. These are realities worked by the Holy Spirit of God in your heart. This is what God's Holy Spirit will do. Give you the conviction and the assurance as you live and you walk by faith. Trust, obey in the word of God. So we have this assurance and this conviction. Oh, I'll skip down. Oh, in verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. We just look at the world a different way. Because our faith is in God, we know that this world is just the canvas upon which God has painted his glory with the brush strokes of his hand. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible, that you can't explain this universe on its own. And frankly, by the way, you can't. You know, science ultimately just can tell you what's going on. It cannot tell you why, and it cannot tell you who. But by faith, we know these things. It's just our, our, our minds just have this knowledge, this assurance, this conviction. Let me give you one other verse, and then we'll move on. In verse 6, Hebrews 11, he says, And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, that's not a sense of, well, let's see, I gave you eternal life, but I'm withholding everything else until you earn it. No, it's simply that seeking God itself is its own reward. Because Jesus said what? Ask, it's given, seek, you'll find it, knock, it'll be opened unto you. So by faith, we know these things. And so when the, um, uh, the devil decides that he's going to shoot a dart at us and he, and he labels the dart, you know, he says, I, I think I'll shoot just a little bit of doubt into the life of that child of God. And the air lands and there's just a little pang of doubt. And what people don't understand is that as believers in Jesus Christ, we have questions and we have doubts. We don't question the wisdom of God, but we don't understand it sometimes and how it works out. And our doubt is mostly in our own understanding and, and what we can do. But uh, he'll, he'll launch doubt into your heart and he say, you see, you're, you're not quite sure, are you? I mean, that's what Satan did in the garden. He came up to Eve and he said, Eve, are you really sure about this God guy? I mean, really, I mean, didn't he tell you you can't eat any of this? You know, he was sort of like a, a mad nutritionist. You know, I'm putting you on a diet. Even you can't eat anything. I've been on that diet. <laughs> By the way, it doesn't work. And she said, oh, no, 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 no. We can eat anything we want except for the tree in the middle of the garden. Can't even touch that. And Satan, Satan said, well, wait a minute, Eve. Are you sure about this? I mean, think about it, Eve. I doubt that God really will let you die. You're not going to die. God's just jealous. And what was he? He was, he was uh, sowing seeds of doubt into Eve's mind. And that's what Satan will do. And he'll wait until a moment of, of exhaustion, a mo moment when you're tired, a moment when you're a little bit defeated, a moment when you've, you've you know, been knocked around a little bit, and Satan will just come up and say, Really? God? I doubt that, don't you? But by faith, we have conviction and assurance. By faith, we know the reality of God isn't based upon my momentary weakness. 
It's not based upon the shallowness of my thinking, but the reality of God is based in God. And by faith, we know this. And so the answer for doubt is, yeah, I've got questions, but God has answers. And yeah, I have doubts, but you know, God is faithful in his promises. Yeah, on my end of the equation, it breaks down sometimes, but on God's end of the equation, not only does he fulfill his promises, but he sends his Holy Spirit into my life to connect me up with his grace, working out his promises. In other words, faith, our faith in Jesus Christ is the answer for doubt. And the more you live by faith, the more that faith becomes a shield. So when that dart and that arrow comes, it just bounces off and it has no impact. But faith is not just the, the, what changes the mind and shapes the mind and shapes our thinking, but Faith is also what guides us and gives us direction in our lives. Jesus came to the disciples, well, before they were disciples, I guess, but he came to, for example, uh, Peter, James, John. They were fishermen. They were working their boats. They had a nice, thriving family fishing business, and uh, they were in the boats, and they were mending the nets, and they were doing fisherman stuff. And Jesus came up to them, and he said, Now's the time, guys. Follow me. And at that moment, those men, they could have looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, you know, you're a really fine fellow. I really like you. I admire what you have to say. Every time you're around, I feel uplifted and encouraged. Why, Jesus, you're one of the most marvelous people that, that, that I've ever known or I've seen. We should get together more often. What are you doing next week? Can't do it next week. I have a, I have a traveling fishing team that I'm on. Um, the week after that, how's, how's that, Jesus? I, I think I'm available. I, I think I'm not doing anything else more important. So I'll, I'll, how about if you come in a week or two, Jesus, and, and we'll get together? Because, you know, Jesus, you're a really fine guy. What would have happened is they would have stayed in their boats and stayed with their nets, and they would have sunk when they sank. I like that. They, they would have sunk when they sank. Okay. But what happened was Jesus said, follow me. And faith happens when they dropped their nets and left their boats and walked with Jesus and never turned back. Faith is responding to the call of God. When Jesus walked into the room and there was Levi, Matthew, if you will, and and he was uh, at at the tax table. (laughs) Okay, he was at the tax table. And uh, uh, Jesus said, Levi... Follow me. Levi could have said, well, Jesus, you know, you've got a lot of wisdom. And I, I see real value in studying your sermon. That, that, that thing on the mountain, top notch, A number one, love that. A little over the top on some things. But, you know, it's basically pretty good, Jesus. He would have stayed at his table and died with his wealth. But he left the tax table and he went to follow Jesus and never turned back. See, that's faith in action. Faith that gets up and does what Christ asks. And so when the devil sends that arrow across your way, and and that that arrow is labeled fear, you know, it's fear of the future. It's fear of what might happen. It's fear of what you know will happen. And you have a fear and an apprehension. Am I going to be able? Will I survive this thing? What's going to happen there? Faith puts out the arrow of fear. Because faith says no matter what happens, 
my Father in heaven will be glorified through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And it doesn't matter what the world thinks. It doesn't even matter what I think. But if I'm obedient to the will of the Father, it only matters what he thinks for his own glory. That's how faith extinguishes that, that arrow, that dart of fear that, that Satan slings or, or shoots our way. It, it, it's what happens when he, he, he wants to shoot us with that little dart called guilt. Guilt is that thing inside you where you get real with yourself. You realize, yeah, I've done some things. And not only have I done some things, I can't undo them. I can't undo the impact of them. And I just can't, can't get past it. And the devil comes in and he says, well, you know, that, that guilt, that, that's who you really are. You're guilty. You deserve to be punished. You deserve to suffer. And faith says, I don't think so. Faith says, I know that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Faith says, but I know that Christ died for me while I was still a sinner. Faith says, I know that if I confess my sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive me all of my sins and to cleanse me from all of my unrighteousness. Faith says, I know that I'm, I'm trying not to sin, but if I do sin, I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for my sins. Look it up, a wonderful word. But he's the sacrifice for my sins, the means of my forgiveness. He's the propitiation for my sins, and not for mine only, but for the whole world, and that includes everybody I love and everybody I know, and as I share Jesus with them, they can know him too. See, faith is the shield against the guilt that, that Satan wants to attach to us. Because in Jesus Christ, we stand before the Father and we are declared and made not guilty before God. And so Paul says, take up this shield of faith. Now, he, he's talking to people who have already believed in Jesus Christ. He's talked to people who have already uh, experienced salvation in him. But he's saying, now that faith isn't just a momentary experience and now you have a little, little card that you, can, that you can show when you get to heaven that you belong there, and maybe you do. But that faith transforms your mind and your heart and your soul. It redirects your strength. That faith trans, transforms who you are. And that's why this morning I would just encourage you to take up the shield of faith. And by that I mean take up a faith that is ready when the darts come and you don't know where they came from and they're just suddenly there but your faith is there as a protective shield the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God now immerse yourself in the scriptures you say well I can't memorize scripture and I can't remember scripture folks just keep reading scripture here's what the Holy Spirit will do when that dart comes the Holy Spirit will get down into your subconscious and we'll pull out a, a scripture you read and we'll put it before you and that will get you through. Abide in the word of God. Abide in prayer. Abide in fellowship with other believers. Develop the life of faith. Practice being obedient so that every day of the week you're holding up that shield of faith. So that's my challenge to you this morning is that you would take up a shield of faith. That you would come to grow in the faith and apply the faith to your life and just rejoice in the faith 
that every day this week, at least this week, every day just say, I'm going to live by faith in Jesus Christ. And then when the devil fires the arrow, watch it bounce off the shield of faith. Let's bow together in prayer. And Father in heaven, we thank you that you've provided for us. You've provided for our safety, but you've also provided for our victory. And give us the means and the, and the armament whereby we can stand strong in the line of battle. So, Father, I pray for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit, that you would work in every heart, that you would claim every life, and that every, every one among us, all of us, would just be more fully devoted and completely given over to faith in Jesus Christ. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. shall come with trumpet sound Oh may I let it be found Trust in His righteousness alone For this stand before the throne Oh Christ alone This morning I'm uh, giving to the church this letter. And dear church family, on March 1st of this year I will retire from being the pastor of our church. For more than 37 years I have enjoyed the privilege of serving this congregation. And during this time we have seen God at work among us doing great things and growing a great fellowship. In so many ways this church has been the focal point of God's work in my life and in the life of my family. I know God's grace will continue to be showered upon our church as together we seek his will and direction for our fellowship. And I sign it yours in Christ. Uh, what this means is that as of March 1st, I will no longer be your pastor. But uh, the deacons have asked that as of March 2nd, I would be your interim pastor. And uh, so we'll, we'll continue with that as the church uh, progresses to fill the, the pulpit in the position of pastor. Uh, Debbie will continue. She has no plans to retire as of this point, so nothing changes. She will be in charge, and uh, you don't need to worry about that. Uh, also to that end, on, uh, and 
we have to announce this. Uh, there will be a meeting on February 23rd at 5 o'clock here at the church uh, for the purpose of following our Constitution, forming a search committee, and working through the mechanisms of, uh, of uh, finding a new pastor. So um, thank you. This, is, this has been a great ride, and it's not over. And uh, we praise God for it. So um, if you don't mind, I think I'll just hang around up front. If you want to come down and say something, have a question or something, I'm more than happy to, to tell you what I know, which isn't much, but uh, happy to share that with you. But I, I just want to thank you for being my church family. And the greatest, not the greatest, the greatest gift of you is you've shown me Jesus every day. But one of the things you've done for me is you gave me a place where my boys grew up seeing Jesus around them everywhere. And they came to know him and love him. Now, folks, God could have done it without you, but he chose to do it with you. And I especially thank you for that. Let's bow for a word of prayer. And Father in heaven, we thank you for the time that we've had together, the time of worship. Pray now that your Holy Spirit would fill us, guide us, lead us, make us useful in the work of the kingdom. Let your glory shine through us and in us. And Father, we just ask that in days ahead, we would discover the joy and the excitement of being found obedient to your will for us as individuals and as a church. And I thank and praise you for all your kindness and all your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much.